Most uh, Sundays, uh, we open our Bibles and allow the Bible to speak to us and uh, guide us in our life. I adore the Bible and believe it is uh, the primary way that God speaks to us. Um, we're not going to do that as much today. Uh, today is um, a kind of a, a direction day or a vision day. We're using the word ignite uh, to kind of push us forward uh, into the next era of our church and the next things that God is doing among us. And so it's kind of exciting. Uh, with the ignite theme, we've turned the heat way up. Um, so there's that. Um, <laughs> we actually don't have any control and we're not going to say anything because it'll get turned way down. So. Uh, we're going to just live and enjoy. Normally on Sundays like this, I'd preach something about hell and, and everybody would get saved. But <laughs> um, So let's talk about the growth. Uh, whether you're here, if you're here for the very first time, this might be new. If you've been here a lot, um, uh, there might be some new things in here. And we're going to talk a bit about how 2014 went. We're even going to talk about money and uh, those kinds of things. We're not going to do our business meeting uh, in church, we'll have a business meeting eventually. We're part of a denomination, excuse me, and we have a superintendent uh, who's going to come and visit sometime on a weeknight, and uh, then that at that time we'll have like our official reports and our budgets and those kinds of things that we can look at, and, and that's really, really probably the most exciting night of your life. So, um, we it's actually kind of funny. Last time the superintendent came around. He didn't have enough copies because he had never seen a church that goes to that thing. Our church had more people at their meeting than any other church, so there's that. We're not saying we're the best, but he is. So uh, <laughs> we're going to figure out what we do more than everyone else, and that's what we're going to evaluate everything on, right? So um, I started being a pastor like full time around 2003. I moved out here to Albany. This was the first city that I was ever like a excuse me, like a vocational minister, right, uh, the, to use those kind of fancy words. I, I went, lived in Georgia for a while and got a degree and, and then uh, moved out here. And I was a pastor at South Albany Community Church, which is the mother church of this church, which uh, started the Grove as a church. And uh, I moved out here and I was being mentored by a close friend of mine named Doug, who was in youth ministry for decades. And he was a professor of youth ministry and he recommended I read this book, and I do not recommend you read this book, and I'll explain why, but uh, it's a book by Brian McLaren, who you either love or you hate, uh, if you, or you don't know who he is, and, uh, and it's a, his best book called new, A New Kind of Christian. And if you uh, read that book, I know a lot of people like to read books. If you read that book, don't read it alone, all right? You need to read it with somebody, uh, because I read it, and then I sent an email back to Doug, and I said, thank you. Thank you for ruining everything. Because um, it's a book that um, kind of gave words to a lot of suspicions that a lot of people were having. See, I was going to be a really good youth pastor, like I was going to be good at it. Um, but the thing is, the reason I was going to be good is because when I was growing up, um, I was fascinated with Jesus. Like I, I really, really like Jesus. I, I love Jesus. I would say Jesus is my best friend. Um, which might sound unusual, but there is, uh, when you read Jesus, uh, read about Jesus, it is uh, arresting to me. And um, then I had this experience with this thing called church. And, it, and I had a really hard time putting those two things together, which sounds judgmental of the church, and I was judgmental, but I was in my early 20s, late teens, so I was judgmental of everyone, you know, 
at that age, I was pretty awesome. And, uh, <laughs> and there is this, um, uh, just this tension that I began to feel as far as what I read in the scripture and what I thought about Jesus's life and what I experienced in the group of people who claimed Jesus's life. And, and that might be your experience too, uh, for better or for worse. And I thought, uh, I still like Jesus, and, and the church is described in the Bible as like Jesus' uh, bride. Like eventually, heaven is described as like a wedding feast. Uh, so I like to say that the church is Jesus' girlfriend. And if you've ever had a friend who has a girlfriend that's a bit awkward, um, you still have to like them, you know? Because what if your best friend marries somebody who's kind of awkward? You better not say anything because you're going to put a little tension into that relationship with your best friend, right? And if you don't cut that thing off early enough, they're going to get married, and then you're stuck with this best friend-in-law forever. And uh, so there's this... Um, uh, you have the choice. Like People like to say, I like Jesus, but I hate the church. To me, that sounds like I like my friend, but I hate his girlfriend. And they're, just, they're a package deal. It's hard to separate one from the other. And so I decided I would work in the church. But I was going to work in the church in a, in a way and in an area that I thought I could contribute to the church being what I thought, um, what I had suspicions of, um, being like Jesus. And so I started working in youth ministry because there's not many rules and you can find a lot of churches that just want you to, uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind, do whatever the heck you want. All right, like if you can find a job like that, that's what you want. And I did things um, <laughs> that would be really good lawsuits today. Um, <laughs> I, did, I've, I did things, well, I instructed my interns to do things and play games um, that I would get phone calls from parents about. It was pretty awesome. Uh, but then I started actually doing ministry. Like, that was kind of just the fun stuff. And I got to know hundreds and hundreds of young high school uh, and early college-aged kids and started talking to them about what they thought about Jesus and what their experience with religion is and stuff. And we had a little house over there at South Albany, and we actually renovated the inside of the house and, uh, and, started, and we painted it. It ended up looking like a nightclub a bit. And, uh, but when we would talk to non-Christian kids, this was the place that they felt comfortable. And we wanted them to be able to hear about Jesus in a comfortable environment. And so we created this. It got funny when the Christian kids from Christian backgrounds came to our nightclub, uh, which we never called a nightclub um, but, uh, publicly. But there is this, uh, we had a hard time with... Um, People who were steeped in conservative Christian culture, not conservative politically, like just conservative uh, Christian culture. And, we, and I wasn't really good at always um, being graceful or generous in that area because I really, really want people to know Jesus. And I have a deep desire for people who are far from God to know about God. And so I don't have a lot of patience with people who don't want that. Um, or people whose Christianity is built around their own personal comfort. Um, this is kind of works its way into my preaching a lot, and if you've been here more than once, you probably know that already. I go to the local coffee shop, and there's a bunch of pastors there who have offices, and I try to kick them out. 
we don't have a building. This is our building. Go back to your building, loser, right? And uh, I don't say loser. I actually don't say that at all. I just like to grumble about it. Um, <laughs> but there is this uh, tension that begins to be felt, and, and we started building this thing, but then people, like young people started becoming Christians, and, and, uh, and then we started attracting adult leaders to our youth ministry who thought this made sense, and we're living in this culture or a different way of understanding and thinking about following Jesus and so we had this group of adults and this group of teenagers and then we started small groups in our church uh, and we had a small group that read New Kind of Christian by Brian McLaren and we had a couple of people who were recently saved in our group like recently committed to Christ grew up in a secular environment and they read the book and were like I don't understand why this is revolutionary like this seems no duh to me and then I had another guy in our group who was a conservative, conservative enough Christian, we're still good friends, but he won't come here. <laughs> and uh, he's uh, because of me. And, uh, but we're, I love him. We're good friends, and he's good for me. Um, but there is, a, he would bring each week a, a, a printout of verses refuting whatever was said in the book, <laughs> which I thought was a great contribution. Uh, but there, it was just this, it began to gather and meet and know these people who seem to have these same inclinations. And we started graduating students who were following Jesus in the way that we would talk about following Jesus. And we found that we were graduating students for a church that didn't exist. Like once you got out of James's high school ministry, what, what do you do? Like where do you go? Because the churches that exist tended to um, think in a different way. Uh, some books or, or whatever or people that like to criticize our church use words like modernism and postmodernism or uh, like evangelicalism and uh, emergent or something like that. It's, it's it just, those are all label things and this is more of something I think that was happening in, in people's hearts. And so we started, we actually started first, we started a little, we called it a church within a church. And my senior pastor at South Albany, John Breitmeyer, was an incredible senior pastor uh, who allowed us to start this thing on Sunday night. And uh, that's where we learned everything not to do. Um, basically, it was really, really, we learned some good things to do. And then we made, like when we made mistakes, they were epic mistakes, all right? Like when we lost a child on the first night of our child care, that was outstanding, all right? Um, it didn't make me angry. Um, there was we had a cardboard box in there, and the kid hid in the cardboard box and thought it was hilarious. So, and randomly on Monday, the cardboard box disappeared from our church altogether. So um, I've contributed to our church in that way. But there is, uh, we started this thing, but it was this group, and we started pushing this direction. And things, and God kind of led and in our church and kind of led to the beginning of this thing called the Grove as South Albany was being blessed and people were becoming a part of that church and there was this group of people who decided that they would become part of a church plant um, because they believed some things about their life and about their Christianity. And I was beginning to believe some things about myself and my role um, for the church. I would not be able to, um, just like, uh, kind of chaplain some people through their Christianity to their death. 
there would be times when you get ordained in our denomination, we have several churches out in the country and we would be sent to those churches. I have good young friends who got sent to those churches. Could you imagine the level of frustration that I would experience pastoring in some small town in some conservative church that really liked traditions? Uh, and I love traditions, just not theirs. Um, my level of frustration would be through the roof. And better than that would be their level of frustration with me. Uh, because I was still young and convinced that I knew everything. Uh, isn't that what kids are for, to convince us that we don't know everything? Uh, <laughs> but there is this, um, this tension that, that I was feeling that ended up um, God working and allowing us to start this thing called the Grove Church. Um, uh, we wanted to not ask the question of what church is, but we wanted to say, like, what could church be? Like, if there was this group of people who felt a certain way and was, uh, had these inklings and these suspicions and this way of understanding and wanting to follow Jesus, what would happen if a whole bunch of them got together and started this thing and called it a church? Um, there's this uh, quote I wanted to, I put it in the email yesterday. That's a side note. You need to check your spam folder if you didn't get an email yesterday. Uh, the Grove started an email newsletter. Did you never hear about this thing called email? Um, I don't know why we didn't do this seven years ago other than we don't know what we're doing. Um, but we have a Grove email. If you didn't get the email yesterday, we sent it to 600 addresses. Like We sent it to people who don't even live here anymore. And uh, so uh, if you didn't get it yesterday, Get on the Facebook, you can subscribe there, I imagine, or stop at the Go table or like write your email down and bring it to me and uh, we'll make sure you can get on it next week. Uh, there's this guy, Buenaventura Jura Deridi, uh, who I read this quote in a Peter Rollins book and uh, he uh, is a Spanish anarchist. And when he wrote this book, this quote, uh, he made it famous from a Russian anarchist. He quoted him and didn't give him any credit, which is what an anarchist would do. Um, but uh, <laughs> The, uh, this is what Bonaventura Deridi says, the only church that illuminates is a burning church. And what he meant was, if a church was going to be useful, we'd actually light it on fire. And what he meant was, actually light it on fire. Like there was no metaphor in this guy's quote as a, this anarchist from the, the beginning of the 1900s. He thought the best use for churches was bonfires, and he was thinking church buildings. Uh, he thought that would be a good thing for the community or a good thing for people to be able to gather around, roast some marshmallows on the burning church. Um, ironically, his statement has kind of become like a, uh, adopted by Christians because we believe that a, the Bible teaches or uses a metaphor for a Christian who is progressing in his faith as being on fire. Uh, this is from the beginning of the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit anointed the very early church and it seemed like tongues of fire came to rest on, on, to, on their heads right in the scripture. So we use this metaphor. And so we want to have a church that is burning in its love for God and its love for the people. And yet we realize that there's a lot of churches that don't. There's a lot of churches that aren't in that direction, that direction that I feel like I am and we are. And so we believe that the only church that actually illuminates is a burning church. And we thank this man. <laughs> and we never see this man unless later in his life, he, I don't know anything about him, maybe he became a Christian later in his life, but who knows. So we started the Grove. And there's this little quote in the back of our minds 
that we want it to be this burning thing, this energy, this rush, this thing that draws people towards God and towards itself. And we started the Grove, and we have this uh, vision statement or this credo that we set up as the Grove. This is what we do. The Grove lives for Jesus, loves in our city to see lives transformed for him. That's what we did. That's what we started. When we first started, it's kind of hilarious because people would ask, so what's your church like? And I'm like, I have no idea, but you really should go. <laughs> like, what kind of songs do you sing? The, all five that we know, right? Like, we had, we had no idea uh, what, what this thing was going to be like, except, like, as far as a practical sense, except we had this, like, burning in us of this authentic following after Jesus and allowing people to know God in a, in a way that really makes sense. And so the church kind of exploded uh, in a really positive kind of way. Uh, and uh, grew and people resonated with it and we understood exactly what God, uh, like people were understanding God and his love for us and his hope in, in a new way. Uh, people who had been Christians long ago but were rejected the church because of their experience were finding a, a place where they were accepted for however they were and there's a very little pretense and there's just an, an allowance of diversity and those kinds of things where instead of just a, this is where we stand on everything. And so we did really, really good at living or living for Jesus. Uh, and, and probably mostly because part of living for Jesus is forgiveness. Um, because we just kind of, all right, we're going to live for Jesus and whatever that means, that's what we're going to try to do. And then we would love our city. And we did an incredible job at loving our city. Uh, we participated in things that our city was doing in unique ways, in ways that churches had never done or never thought of. We were able to communicate to our city that God actually likes it, uh, that God, like, I really think God likes Albany, and, and I think God likes Corvallis too, but uh, he doesn't like driving that far off I-5. No one does. So, <laughs> but <laughs> God's car is probably really old, right? But there is this, uh, but when uh, we believe that God is for people like he really loves people and he loves our city and so we'd participate when good things were happening in our city and and um and and then we had this last part of seeing lives transformed uh the transforming of lives was a little slower um was a little bit where people would come in and they'd be like i love jesus i'm gonna live for jesus i'm gonna serve in our church i'm gonna serve in the city here we go we as a church um, do all the legalistic sins better than any other church, if that makes sense. Uh, we as a church, because of our deep desire to be honest and authentic, are terrible at hiding how we live during the week, dressing up, yelling at the kids to smile on Sunday, and walking in. Like, we are bad at that, all right? Uh, like, you don't dress well, all right? I wore a jacket on Christmas Eve, and people were confused. All right, like I don't understand. What is this fake? Whoa, 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 what's going on up there, right? And I liked my jacket, and but whatever. If you're here for the first time, I know it didn't happen today, but people will show up, and I know they're a visitor because they're they are dressed nice, and they're here on time, which we call early, right? Uh, it is the most awkward thing. It's it's actually something we're bad at as a church, uh, but. Um, seeing these lives transformed, which doesn't mean I want you to dress better, but a transformed life according to what we believe is a life that changes 
its pattern or its way of thinking uh, from uh, being apart from God to being close to God. A transformed life is a life that knows nothing of what Jesus actually desires for life, moves to living for Jesus and knowing and understanding the scripture and those kinds of things. When I would talk to people about our church, uh, I would say what we're praying for is that people would have a spiritual hunger so that they would experience spiritual growth, so that they would be able to participate in spiritual leadership. Because as our church exploded and grew really, really fast, the number of people who were Grove, and I use that word in, in that they were, had an understanding of how we follow Jesus at the Grove, um, that was still really developing. And so we had a lot of people and not a lot of people who knew what was going on or knew how to lead this large group. And we needed to, before we grew any larger, we needed to, as a group, as of the leaders that we had, pray and work towards and think through what it means to experience spiritual growth here at the Grove. Um, so that's kind of been our focus for the last 18 months. Really, I don't know if that's the exact number, but it's around a year and a half of how do we help people grow spiritually. And if you've been to uh, our church much, this is why we did the Gospel of Matthew as a sermon series that's ending in, at this Easter, because it's a, it was the primary discipleship and spiritual growth book for the early church. If you've been to things like Chickapalooza or Manfest, there's been an emphasis on growth spiritually and that conversation that happens. Uh, and, and not just like do, reading your Bible and doing the things, like not checklist spiritual growth, but actually experiencing uh, the Holy Spirit at work in your life, in your day-to-day -day life, which is a remarkable, remarkable thing. So to that end, I think we're done. Um, <laughs> we've lived for Jesus, we've loved our city, and we've seen transformation. Uh, that's great. So we end up with the option of sell all the stuff and go somewhere else or <laughs> figure out what the new direction is. Like, we've done this. And you probably, this is probably kind of awkward um, because you probably weren't thinking, I'm going to go to church today. It's our last Sunday. Um, <laughs> but it's not. We'll be here next week. Um, but we, we did live for Jesus and we did love our city and we did, you know, see lives transformed. Um, we've experienced that. And, and we'll talk about that for a second. And you've probably never been a part of an organization that says, all right, here's our vision statement. And five years in went, good job, we did it. Uh, like, we, we finished that. Uh, and, we, and obviously, it's not just over. But we want to take a second and just say, that was pretty awesome. Like, was, we didn't just change who we were, but we changed, and we are part of a group that's changing what the church is in an international, in a cross-denominational way, where we're a church that's willing to kind of be a research and development arm of the church, and we've pushed into things and we've went, wow, that was terrible. Other churches, don't do this. And we've pushed into other things and, and it's turned out really, really positive. So you've done a good job. So here's what I want you to do. Lean forward, pat the person in front of you on the back and say, good job. You did a good job. All right. If you're sitting in the back, you should have came earlier. Uh, so, <laughs> All right. That's like an introvert's nightmare, isn't it? Like if I was sitting down right now, I'd be like, I, do I turn around? Do I, do I see who's touching me? Like, why is their hand still on me? Right? 
uh, I'd be asking those questions. <laughs> All right, I want to talk about 2014. And this would be some number things. You know, it might be a bit awkward, um, but uh, I think numbers are, uh, facts are our friends, and this is what this is. We're not doing a business meeting, but we do want to let everyone kind of know where we are. Uh, so 2014 by the numbers. We have an average of 302 people here on Sundays. It's a bit awkward because our summer numbers, and this happens in, across churches in Oregon, we have about two-thirds of the people that we normally do in the summer uh, because the sun comes out and everyone comes out of hibernation and you work Monday to Friday and it's actually biblical to sleep in a tent sometimes. That's theologically accurate, but um, it really, really is. Um, but uh, there's 302 people that on over the year that come to our church. There's significantly more than that on a Sunday like today and a Sunday where it's raining, um, which is most of the year. We have an average of 73 children. This is really unusual, something we're really good at, all right, making children. So you can pat someone on the back for that, but later, all right? Uh, the, uh, uh, just percentage-wise, we have an unusually high number of children, uh, and that affects things in our church. That affects uh, the way that we think about the future. It affects our ability uh, to influence uh, the larger church generations from now. I'm really, really excited for when our kids grow up and they start planting churches and they give them names and they say, like, The Grove. That's the stupidest name ever. And, and they call it, like, First Baptist Church or something. Because, uh, and they'll be like, No, that's not new. Yes, it is, you know. And, all right, but... Um, so we have a lot of kids at our church, percentage-wise. None of them have jobs, and so that affects uh, some of our averages uh, when we'll talk about money and how our church works with money. This is an exciting thing, and I put this up here. I, d I don't put this up as a bragging stat, but I want to let you know something. At the beginning of the year, I had a conversation with God, and when we see transformation, there's things that we can see, and baptism is a transformation step. Baptism is that step where you stand in front of everyone and say, I am a follower of Jesus. And I prayed to God and I said, God, I would like, and this was my request, I'd like 25 people to get baptized this year, which is more than ever before, all right? And uh, which was a bit ridiculous because we don't do a lot of, we don't do like, hey, get baptized every weekend and things like that. And we were at the river this year uh, doing baptisms on Labor Day weekend uh, or in 2014, and we were up to 24 and I said, well, God, good job. You tried, you know, and uh, you almost answered my prayer. And uh, <laughs> this is why I'm in trouble when I get to heaven. I'm too honest. But um, one, the last person who got baptized walked up to me that Sunday morning. It was like I've been wrestling with this, and we had had conversations and said, I want to get baptized today. And it was number 25. And they had no idea how happy I was. Or maybe they thought I was really happy for them, but I was really happy for me. <laughs> but... Uh, but it really, 25 people getting baptized is almost 10% of our average attendance, which is really, really unusual, all right? So the amount of spiritual growth that we're seeing in our church is really, really unusual. Uh, it's evidence that God, I think, is doing something in our midst. Can we go to the next slide? Uh, this is how our year looked, and I'll explain this if you're a numbers guy and just went, 43,000, that's the way to, what? Oh my gosh. Um, uh, we spent $340,825. Uh, we are an incredibly lean church as far as that goes. Uh, we try, uh, if you talk to my staff, or my staff, if you talk to the other people who work at the church, 
they try not to talk to me about how much things cost because I am as cheap as I'll get out. Um, because I want you to, like, I really want you to know something. When you put money in an offering plate, you worked for that money. Like, you worked at a job and worked hard for that. And it, it bears me a great amount of responsibility uh, to steward the things that we've entrusted together as a church. Uh, and I know our finance team feels that way. I know our leadership council feels that way. And I know the other people on our staff feel that way. Uh, so our giving this year was 297 this is just general fund, uh, and then our outside support. This was the year in 2014 that Daryl, Pastor Daryl, actually left us to go senior pastor in Lebanon, which is going incredibly awesome. Um, and we, he's actually implemented a few things that we've learned here at the Grove. If you're new here, Pastor Daryl was one of our founding uh, leaders, and uh, we, he worked outside of the church a, li a little bit, and so we had some outside support that came in for him that kind of bought ours from Daryl. Um, so that's what that is. Our second steps, which is our building program, uh, we gave $4,205 to that. Uh, it's up to around $40,000 right now. And then our average monthly giving households, which is actually an important number, is 86. Uh, here's what uh, you need to know. We planned to spend more than was uh, giving. Like we planned to spend that much because in our beginning of the church, when we grew so fast, we couldn't spend the money fast enough and because we bear a lot of responsibility. And so we had a lot of savings left over and uh, we decided it might be good to spend that savings on things that would actually impact the kingdom and uh, not just have a big pile of money to sit on. Another thing that makes me angry, churches that sit on money uh, instead of saving people. And so uh, we want to work towards that. So this was actually planned to spend more than, the, than giving was, all right? Um, and our offering this year at $297,000 uh, was more than ever before, all right? Uh, we've never seen that much offering being given in our history. Um, the monthly average giving households, this is something we track if you use an envelope. I'd love for you to use an envelope because if you just put cash in, it goes under Johnny Cash and it just, I don't know, that's probably not the real name, but um, uh, everyone who puts cash in the offering plate is one person. And, and it's kind of, it's not, it doesn't mean nothing. Um, you can do that if you want to. Some people, that's their spiritual conviction. That's great. Uh, but this a number of this 86 giving households allows us to know kind of the base of the people who uh, are a part of the Grove to the point that they're investing financially in the Grove, all right? This number is actually lower than the year before. This means something, all right? Uh, this means that the number of people who gave on average gave more than they have before, which like baptism is a, like if, I think you get saved and then your money needs to get saved too. Uh, and then your driving needs to get saved and your parenting needs to get saved. Does that make sense? And so uh, using God's money in a way uh, and then your football fandom needs to get saved, all right? Uh, but anyways, there is this uh, understanding of the way that our stuff works with Jesus that increased this year uh, in a remarkable way. And so this is uh, where we're at, all right? So we're not like uh, searching for money, um, but we, because uh, we plan to spend more than we gave. Uh, next, this is the exciting part. The Grove, this is what the Grove gave away this year. Um, the Grove gave $5,000 to church plants, uh, which is a kind of a big deal. When we started, we were a daughter church of South Albany Church, 
And we called a couple other churches that we had relationships with. South Albany Church uh, gave um, $55,000 to the beginning of this church. They held one big offering and, uh, and took some money from their savings and started this thing, which is just incredible. Many of you were a part of South Albany and gave to that 50,000, uh, 55,000. Every other church we called said no, every other one, uh, which is kind of depressing um, because if you've ever called people and asked for money and they all say no, it sucks. Um, th- so we, as a church, 1% of our general fund, um, which this year means $2,970, is designated and res- reserved for uh, church planting. And we've done that since we started. And this year, uh, for the first time, we were able to partner with two different church plants, one in this city who is, is having their official launch today, the Hub City Church in South Albany, uh, one in Yakima, the Crossroads Community Church in Yakima, uh, which is a part of our denomination. Greg Spurgeon, who's the pastor there, has visited us three or four times, and our youth ministry has done mission trips up to Yakima and worked with them. Uh, so we, through friendships, are building churches or helping to contribute to churches that are like ours. And if you... Like, I remember when we've had our first dollar in our bank account as a church, and we had to pay to register our name. And it was like, wow, this is because before that we had no money, uh, mostly because I was a pastor. But um, we gave $5,320 to missions, overseas missions, so that you know um, the average church uh, doesn't support over, like church like us. Churches who support overseas missions are, tend to be older churches of older folks. Uh, churches like us don't tend to do this. And so every time we do something like this, the national denominational director, like I'll see him at the end of January, I have to go to this pastor's thing. He'll come over and be like, do you know how awesome the Grove is? I had no idea that we were good. All right. Like I just assumed that this is what happened. When we started the church, we called up the national office and said, hey, we need missionaries because that's what churches do. And they were like, excuse me? Because they'd never had a church call and say that. Um, a church that says we want to give away instead of we want to get. And uh, so we actually partner with Brian and Molly, who are missionaries in Bolivia. Uh, and uh, just an incredible amount of support. 1% of our offering goes to supporting Brian and Molly in Bolivia uh, up to a, a limit. And then we have an overflow that goes to some other uh, missions. And then individuals from our church support uh, Brian and Molly to the same level. Um, so overseas missions, uh, we also support Kevin and Debbie Nelson, uh, who are in the Ukraine. We talk about an amazing mission field there. Um, and then we have a partner church in Liberia uh, that we also uh, give to. Uh, there we have three churches. We've built roofs on two of them, and those three churches that are in what we would call slums, what they would call their neighborhood, um, and they are actually we sent them money again as part of their Ebola education in their neighborhood. And then our Christmas Eve offering, which we split uh, between different organizations in our town, was uh, ridiculous. Um, It was $10,563. All told, we give away a little more than $20,000 here, uh, which is uh, around maybe 8%. So you know, the average church, and this is the average church, not the church like us, gives away about 2% of their money to mission organizations. Uh, We are unusual. We are not very good at being average. Uh, But this is something that's kind of a big deal because the Grove has inadvertently moved into a position of being able to influence the world for the kingdom of God in an international way. 
when we go to heaven, there's going to be, like, Jesus comes back, there's the trumpets, all that kind of stuff. Um, we're going to go, if you believe in the rapture, but there is all this stuff, and we're going to get there, and there's going to be people who are like, oh, I love the Grove, and, and, all, and I went there, and I became a Christian there or something, and, and then there's going to be people who we influence maybe through our podcast and, and stuff like that. If you don't listen to the podcast, actually, all of our music, we bought a license where we are able to play our whole service. All of our music is on the podcast. And, it's, and so you can listen to that and then fast forward through the guy talking and then listen to more music. And, um, but there is, uh, then there's going to be people who we get to meet who are little kids that go to an after-school program in Bolivia, people who became Christians at a little church in, in the slums in Liberia, uh, people who you have no idea that you're building a relationship with, but our resources are being used in the most effective way that we can possibly think of. Uh, this is incredible, all right? Like, uh, this is a privilege that we get to experience, all right? To be able to be a church that has this passion for people who aren't a part of our church is really unusual. And it's not to criticize other churches. I'm sure they're very nice, all right? But the only church that illuminates is a burning one. So maybe we need to set them on fire. All right, next slide. I really shouldn't have said that. Um, giving at the Grove. Uh, here's what we need to know. Can I actually go to the next slide already and then go back to that one? No. Okay, so I failed to put a slide in here. Go back to the other one. Uh, our finance team and our leadership council has got together and set up a budget uh, for uh, 2015 that's $330,500, all right? Our giving last year was $297,000, uh, plus we had around $5,000 that was supporting Daryl, so around $302,000. Um, this year, we don't have support for Daryl, and our leadership council and our finance team has put forward a budget, and I don't set these budgets by myself, I'm on those committees, but we're a group of leaders at our church, put forth a budget that's $330,500, which would represent 10% growth uh, in our giving, which the previous year we experienced 4% growth uh, in our giving. This is unusual, but this is a prayer that's moving forward. Uh, here's why it's high or higher than we would expect. Um, because, and, and we've trimmed everywhere that we can possibly trim. We froze salaries, ministry budgets have shrunk and moved around and adjusted and things like that because we're refocusing some things. But we actually have a desire to grab a space, and not a Sunday morning space, uh, but a space for our ministries to happen in. Uh, specifically, um, our, our youth ministries, which... Um, if you brought your kids back to the kids' ministry, you'll notice we have an unusual number of kids, and they are getting older. And so we have an unusual amount of middle schoolers. And middle schoolers, this is why you're, part of why we want you in here, we believe 100% that middle schoolers are a part of the church like right now. It's not that someday they'll be good enough to be a Christian. I think some of the greatest... If you read history, some of the greatest things that have been done for God, like giving birth to Jesus, were done by middle school age people, all right? Which, you're probably not going to give birth to Jesus, middle schooler, but I think you can do great things for God. It still meets in the living room of a house, um, which creates, and, and imagine for a second your living room, and then imagine 20-something middle schoolers in your living room, 
and then thank God for our middle school leaders. <laughs> because if we really believe that they are a vital part of our church, then we really believe in investing in um, their spiritual development and their growth. Now, as a church, what we're supposed to do is spend money on the people who give money, which means more comfortable chairs, right? But if we have a desire and a fire for the future of Christianity to look different than its past has, its recent past, then we invest in rising generations in a way that says we care about someone besides ourselves. Middle school giving in this church is terrible. All right? I don't know why they don't have jobs. They're out of school at 2.30. They could probably get a job. But, um, hey, I can't even get my middle schooler to get a job. So good luck with that. But there is, uh, he goes, <laughs> Dad? Uh, <laughs> but there is a desire that we have. And so we've actually set up a budget that if we uh, want to actually push forward into our future, uh, then we need to increase giving. Uh, and that's just the way it is. I've never in our history said those words, ever. And when we met with the finance team and the leadership council, I said, just so you know, I've never in our history said those words because I believe that people give. Because I believe, that, like, and I really honestly believe this, that the best thing I do with my money is invest in the church and because I believe it's the hope of the world. I do a lot of things with my money. I pay a lot of bills, I buy things, I do stuff, I make payments, whatever. But the best thing I do with my money is give it away. Because when I give it away, the Bible teaches that my heart moves with the thing that I invest my money in. If you have a car that you don't put payments in and a car that you do put payments in, I can tell you which car you're washing, right? Because your heart is following your money. And when you invest in your church, my heart follows my money when I do that. And I want more of my heart to be more about the things of God. And I don't, and I invest in our church and we invest as a family in other organizations uh, or, or like uh, World Vision and Compassion and, and other things and Christian and non-Christian organizations that are contributing to making it a better world because I want my heart to push outside of myself and outside of my stuff. Sometimes we have people who are sporadic givers, who give, I, this is how I used to give until I learned that that wasn't right. Um, I used to give God a tip, like, uh, like, I was at a, like I'm at a restaurant, and I would go to church, I would get fed, and they'd be like, yeah, that was pretty good, that was good service, a comfy chair, like I got a good place, here God, here's a tip, right? It's kind of hilarious, because God, um, you know, is God, and I treat him like the less than minimum wage employee at Red Robin. Uh, thanks, thanks for bringing me my iced tea. Here you go, right? If we actually believe that God is who God is, then we actually live according to biblical patterns of stewardship. Uh, so sporadic givers, that's tippers, God tippers, uh, and guests. I, I call people guests. People are guests in my home when they don't contribute to making my home better, right? Uh, once you've been to my home a few times, your kids start picking things up when they leave, right? Like, that's just how that goes. You're no longer a guest. You're basically family. Uh, so we have people who are guests here at the church, um, and we don't really expect you to give. Well, just like I don't expect people who are at my house for the first time uh, to pick up the toys when their kids are done trashing my house. Um, not that this is a personal, you know, thing, but 
the child care for my small group is at my house. And I'm sure, I think they're all terrorists because they basically destroy, I'm just kidding, they actually clean up after themselves because now they're family and they had better. So, <laughs> number two is a commitment to percentage giving. And uh, in the Bible, it talks about a tithe. And we don't believe in a legalistic approach to a tithe. Like, uh, nobody's going to ask for your 1040s or your W2s or your whatevers. Uh, because we don't believe in a legalistic approach to that. Because we believe that there might be some people who giving 10% is too low. There might be some people who giving 10% is too high. Because we believe that the Bible teaches that each of us must, in our own heart, have a conversation with God and then give, and then give in a cheerful way. And so I teach and I talk about percentage giving. So you know, the average person uh, gives away two or three percent of their money like the average i'm on the way to hell i hate god i have nothing to do with i think humanity is a waste of my time gives away two or three percent of their money and so if you're a god tipper financially you're just below the people who hate us all right two or three percent of their money is just average it also matters because it's not that we need when I've talked to people who are planting churches and they're like, I need a bunch of Christians, so they give. <laughs> all right? Christians are just as stingy as the non-Christians. All right? Uh, you just need humans because you can stick like a complete hate God freak in your pew and he's going to give away 2 or 3% of his money. He's going to support your ministry to that level. All right? Uh, so a commitment to percentage giving looks like this. When you sit down with your family and sit down with your budget, because I believe that the Bible also teaches if you're giving away all your money and not taking care of your family and your responsibilities, you're actually ashaming the gospel, all right? And I, one of my pastors, uh, the pastor who was my professor in college, he actually had a guy who would give to his church who was going through an incredibly difficult time. And he would give to his church and he would talk to him and say, stop giving, and he wouldn't. So they started taking his offering and giving it back to him. And uh, here, our church is going to support you because your whole life is falling apart, you know? And he had medical issues and some family issues and those kinds of things. Um, but it, it is now. That being said, I hear you. You just, you can't see the score on that little TV anymore. And you need that one that's curved, right? <laughs> that's not a need, all right? The Bible doesn't say you're shaming the gospel if your TV is flat. Flat, come on, right? Jesus wants us to have excellent things, right? This isn't where we're going with this. What we would say is this, and, and I, like I don't shame people, I don't guilt people, here's what I believe. If you say, this is the percent that I want to give to my church, right? We believe as leaders that God wants $330,500 and $500 given to our church this year. This is what we believe. And if you're a percentage giver and you say, God, I'm going to give away this percent, and if God knows you're faithful with that, I honestly believe he's going to ask you to participate in that giving. And this sounds all like health, wealth, and prosperity, but I know there are people who give away a high percentage of their money, and for some reason, God keeps blessing them with more money. And then you would say, well, that's just random. Or it's that God knows where that money's going. Does that make sense? Because some of us, and I used to live this way, when God would bless us financially or curse us financially, depending on your perspective on that, with more money, who knew where it was going to go, right? Like some of us used to balance our checkbooks by calling the bank 
and finding out if there's any money there, and then you're making your plans for Friday night. This is not the biblical way to live. <laughs> um, it's okay if you're in middle school, all right? You're not anymore, unless you are, but then you don't even have a job. So anyways, percentage giving, I believe, is something that isn't beneficial to the church, it's beneficial to you. And I don't say, oh, you need to give a certain percent or don't give a certain percent. I tell you what the percents are, all right? And I believe in like a click theory. That some of you, if you've given 10% for years, maybe you could click it to 11 and you would experience a greater heart for God. That's what I believe. And if you think I'm just trying to get money for the church, give to another church. Who cares, right? Like I'm not... I really believe that God's going to give us $330,500, and I believe it's going to come to the people who give to this church. That's what I believe. And if you want to play with us, play with us, because it's the best game in town. All right. Three. Uh, can you tell I love talking about money? Three. Uh, increasing the number of people who are joining the Grove. Um, if we have a certain number of people giving a certain amount averagely and stuff like that, then we could just have more people here. There's an empty seat up here and one over there, all right? Uh, this number, so you know, increasing the number of people at the Grove, it hasn't been the focus over the last 18 months or so because we didn't know what we would do with them. And we're still kind of maxed out. We're not going to advertise small groups very much because there's no more space on people's couches until we are able to develop more people who are leaders who are small group leaders and those kinds of things. We, have, we had at one point... We had to split our children's ministry into multiple classes because of the incredible number of children that you keep making and bringing to church, all right? Uh, these are just directions that we have to focus on and have to be aware of. And over the next little while, we're actually going to be focused intentionally on increasing the number of people who are coming to the church. I know you might not like that because they might sit in your chair, all right? Or they might be different than you. Or they might be more cooler than you. That's the worst, right? Uh, when you used to be a big deal and then this church got big and now you don't even know half the people and blah, 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 all right? If you have a problem with large groups of people loving Jesus, you probably want to go to hell, all right? Um, <laughs> the way heaven is described... There's a large group of people, and if you would prefer your church as small, there are plenty of small churches in hell, all right? Uh, like one person, all by themselves. So you can, I did not mean to say that, but I mean every word of it. <laughs> like that's not on the PowerPoint, but it should be on a t-shirt, all right? I'm just going to write that down in my brain for a second. Because that was probably the coolest thing I said today. All right. And you're like, so we just go to hell. <laughs> All right. <laughs> my friends listen to this podcast, like my pastor friends, and you know they're going to be like, hey, um, so how much are you drinking before church? Um, which is none, but all right. Uh, I want to move forward. <laughs> I don't really, but because I, I, I kind of like that moment. Um, so here's where we're going to go. This is the traditional way of understanding church, is that church is attractional, church is propositional, and church is colonial, meaning we attract people to us. You guys come to us. Everything is inward focused. Uh, propositional, meaning we have an understanding of truth that is here, this, 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 this is what we believe. If you believe these things, you can be a part of our group. Sometimes they're things that are in the Bible. Sometimes they're just 
conservative politics or liberal politics, depending on your church, and uh, they're not in the Bible, or dress or hair color and those kinds of things. Uh, and then colonial. Um, this is, if you've ever been a part of a church that says, we're taking this over for Jesus, all right? That's colonial. Uh, this is how uh, empires started in the modern era. We took over things for Jesus. Uh, we believe, uh, not that those things are bad, but we don't believe that they're the best way to share Jesus with people anymore. Is to say, hey, come be a part of this thing, uh, ascribe to the seven things that we believe, and then help us take over everyone who doesn't believe what we believe. Uh, we believe uh, movement to something else. And this is words I stole from Leonard Sweet, who's another author. We move from attractional to missional. So you know, when we first started, when I first started as a pastor, I knew attractional was bad and we wanted to move to missional. We didn't want to attract anyone to our church. And so we would intentionally make it worse. All right? And then I learned, that's stupid. Uh, and so we aren't trying to be unattractive. But our primary goal isn't to just make people be a part of the growth. All right? Our primary goal is to be a church that's moving, that's a part of movement, that goes to where people are, that's on mission. Instead of being propositional, like here's the seven things you need to believe, we want to be incarnational. We believe when Jesus came to earth, he didn't say, here's the things you need to believe. He said, here's who I am. And he developed relationships with people that led them to what truth is. And instead of colonial, like we're not going to take over Albany, we want to be relational and develop a relationship with Albany uh, that makes a lot more sense. Uh, so uh, here's some new directions at the Grove. Uh, starting today or next week, we're done with that living for Jesus, loving our city, seeing lives transformed. Uh, those things are just kind of going to be assumed. The loving our city thing doesn't even work anymore because we live in so many different cities because our church has grown at a rate that's kind of unusual. Uh, and so we're going to talk about this. I don't have a cool statement, though. And I know I should in order to be a good church, but I think we've established we're not good at being an average church. So I've got three words that I want to talk about that I think they aren't words that I went up on a mountain and, hey, this is what God told me. It's much more, uh, I think this is the sense that I get from our people. The first word is go. Um, beginning because I think the Grove is a movement. I don't think the Grove is good as an institution. I think the Grove is good as a movement, as a group of people that are moving somewhere. I often talk about that if the Grove disappeared, uh, would our community rejoice or be sad? And I don't mean if we stop meeting here on Sunday morning. If we stop meeting here on Sunday morning, I don't think most of our community would notice. Um, they maybe notice the signs aren't there, but they wouldn't remember what they weren't noticing. I mean the people of the Grove. If we stop participating in our community in a redemptive way, uh, fearless. Uh, one of the things I say about the Grove is that we go there. The Grove, to me, is an unusual church, and I love it because I'll have sermons that I'll get up to preach. I had one uh, within the last year where I said, now this is going to be a little offensive. I had another one that I had Aaron preach because I knew it was going to be offensive. <laughs> and then no one's offended. Because they're like, yeah, we need to think about these things and we need to actually apply the gospel to those areas of our life that most of the time the church doesn't talk about. I really think the Grove is, like, I, you're unusual and the fearlessness is a big deal. And then go as far as serving. We serve uh, both in our church and in our city at an exceptional rate. And we find this really, really important to be able to do these things. 
People who work in children's ministry at our church, so you know, work in children's ministry uh, two weeks out of the four in a month, meaning they don't go to church half the time. And they're here at this church because they like going to this church, right? This is an exceptional, and, and I'm not just saying, oh, they're martyrs. I'm saying this isn't just an exception. This is a pattern that we seem to see in our church that people want to give up what they want in order to serve others. So that's go. Second one. And we'll talk a lot more about these. I'm just going to go over them. This with. This really comes from the Love Does series that we did recently. And we came up with this sentence where we say to people, I'm with you. I'm with you. And we think this being known for our love for one another might be the coolest thing about our church. I think part of the reason people have so many babies is because people bring you food for days. All right? And like the best food. It's not like people are stopping at KFC or like if I sign up, you're getting Little Caesars, right? Like I love it. I got some for myself. Here's what you get. Congratulations on the baby, right? But if you crank a baby out, you are eating like a king in this church, all right? Like some of you, if you're married and you're wondering, it's time, all right? Like <laughs> you want to eat well, have a baby or go in the hospital or uh, those kinds of things. We love each other in this church. If you have needs in this church, this church loves to meet needs. We had someone who started criticizing our church and has left our church. Um, they started criticizing our church because people didn't help them the way they thought they would. And when I talked to the leaders of our church, their reaction, my reaction was to be mad at them and hate them. Their reaction was, should we go over there right now? And, like, and not to beat them up. That's what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> But to serve them in a way, I'm, I'm probably the worst person at this church, but to serve them in a way that was redemptive. Even the people who don't like us were like, how can we serve them and how can we be redemptive? And then believing that God is for people. This is our stance on all of the hot button issues today. All of them. We believe that God is for people. And so if you want to talk to us about uh, homosexuality, you want to talk to us about gay marriage, you want to talk to us about politics, you want to talk to us about abortion, about foreign policy, here's where we start, that God really, really, really loves people. And that informs everything that we do and say and believe. And I can, like, theologically, we're a part of a denomination and we're conservative theologically. There's, we're not, like, we're not becoming uh, different theologically. But our approach to people is always that we side with people just like God did. Because the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like when he was hanging on the cross dying for you, when Jesus was on the cross dying for you, you had done nothing to deserve it. And you had done everything to make that thing happen. And yet God loves you and loves me. And so we live that way in our community. So we're with, all right? Last one is invite. Um, we want to, um, no, here's our experience, is that people believe really, really slowly at the Grove. Some people become Christians really, really fast, right? Like maybe your experience is you were at something or someone invited you to like a Billy Graham crusade or something and it made sense and boom, it's over, you went forward, prayed the prayer, did the thing, Christian, just like that. Other people, and we tend to experience this a lot more at the Grove, it takes like three years for them to become a Christian. Some people uh, come to church the first time someone invites them. The average, though, in our part of the world is 7.6 different people inviting them to church. Imagine what it would be like if 
you invited someone to church and someone else that they know who goes to the Grove invited them too, but you don't know that they know them and someone else too, and you don't know that they know them and someone else too. Like if someone didn't just get invited by you, but got invited by 7.6 people who go to the Grove, the 0.6, you can decide who that is. That kind of invitation brings people into the church. Now, it used to be that the pastor would say, bring the people to church so that the professional Christian can explain Christianity to them. I don't believe that that's the way the world works because I have conversations with people. Just yesterday, I was having a conversation with a young guy who shared the faith, his faith over 18 months. Every Friday night was hanging out with another guy that's an atheist. Got to the end, they were living in a dorm and got to the end of their program and the atheist said to him, I love you. But even if you could find all of the reasons and had like a rock-solid, reasonable understanding of Jesus, I still wouldn't believe because of my experience with Christians. Like, even if it made sense in my head, even if it made sense in my heart, I still wouldn't believe because I know too many. I know Christians. I think that when we used to say, you need to believe these things, then you can belong to our church, that's reversing to, you can belong to our church And then eventually we think you might believe these things. Because you can join our church, have yourself a baby, get sick and go in the hospital and experience what it is to be loved. Join a life group and see what happens. Start serving on a Sunday and see if those people don't start caring about you and with all your baggage. Like, maybe this is some of you who are here today. You haven't made a commitment to Jesus, but you've made a commitment to this church. And we believe that we love you and that you are growing in your understanding of Jesus and will come to know Jesus in a way that is what we would call salvation. It might be really slow. It might not. We used to share Jesus with people by saying, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? Which is a threat. And I believe a better way for us to share Jesus would be if you were to live for 50 or 60 more years, what would that look like? Because I think with Jesus, that looks better than without Jesus. And we've got a bunch of practical things happening. In the lobby today, if you, you probably didn't notice because our lobby's packed with humans, we have a new go table. We have the traditional go table where you can go to the traditional. <laughs> it's been there six months. Um, We have the go table where you can go if you want resources on spiritual growth, journaling, Bible reading, devotions, those kinds of things, prayer. Uh, If you're here for the first time, take your go pass to that go table and they can help you get connected. We have a gift for you as well, some things that explain what we're about as a church. Uh, But we have a new go table that's a go forward table that can connect people to serving. Because it's actually, we've noticed, you can get into the Grove and it's hard to figure out how to do something at the Grove. And so we have a whole table that's designated for that. If you've been here more than once, or you've been here for a long time because you came today, um, you can stop by that table and say, hey, I want to do something. And they have everything that happens in our church on a Sunday that you can participate in, get on a team, and get to know people. We also have a serving that happens outside of our church that people from our church go to, and you can participate with people from our church that are doing things at ministries in our community. Uh, We have a men's ministry expansion that kind of started last summer that's going to roll out. If you got the email yesterday or this morning, uh, then you notice on Super Bowl Saturday, the men are going to be playing playing football uh, together. Uh, Saturday emails, those are going to start coming out every week uh, that will invite people to participate in the life of the church. We sent it to 600 families. It's hilarious. 
All right, there are people who don't even live here anymore that are getting that email. But there are tons of people who came to this church once or twice and we got their email somehow and they aren't unsubscribing, all right? 200 and, when church started, 230 people had opened, only seven people had unsubscribed. And one of them is here. Um, so <laughs> we have a membership class, that is the wrong email, but we have a membership class that's gonna start rolling out. Because up to this point, you kind of just understand the grove by osmosis and we are actually going to become more intentional about connecting people and helping people become a part of the life of the church. Uh, and that'll be coming through a membership class. And I know church membership isn't something that we really pump a lot here, uh, but that is kind of, we'll call it something way cooler uh, than that. Then improved online giving. You can give, like I do all of my money at once on an internet, right? Uh, and I write very, very few checks. And the church might still, in your mind, be stuck in um, decades past. And so we're actually, uh, Aaron's actually working on this, on streamlining some of our online giving, uh, so that you, giving for you can be something that's intentional, not just random, all right? And you'll be able to see that. There's probably going to be a new website that comes out uh, connected to that. I want to read something to end. And this really is the end. Um, but this is from 1 Corinthians. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, um, there's a whole bunch of churches. Ephesians, Philippians, Corinthians, Colossians. Paul, the apostle, writes these letters. My favorite is Corinthians. They get five letters, all right? Only two of them had, like, three of them, had, the swearing was so bad they're not in the Bible, all right? Uh, two of them are in the Bible. This church was as bad as a church gets, like we're talking, they had real wine at communion because people like getting wasted together, all right? This is as bad as a church got. And I like this church because even though they were who they were, they loved God with all their heart. And Paul writes them, this is 1 Corinthians, the first letter he sends them, and this is chapter 2, after he says hello, welcome, all that kind of stuff. This is what he says. He says, we, the leaders who are establishing the churches, of course have plenty of wisdom to pass on to you once you get your feet on firm spiritual ground, but it's not popular wisdom. The fashionable wisdom of the high-priced experts that will be out of date in a year or so. God's wisdom is something mysterious that goes deep into the interior of his purposes. You don't find it lying around on the surface. It's not the latest message, but it's more like the oldest. What God determined, listen to this, what God determined as the way to bring out his best in us long before we ever arrived on the scene. I think that's kind of my prayer for us, that God would bring out his best in us. And then he has this little quote. It says, no one's ever seen or heard anything like this. No one has ever imagined anything quite like it. What God has arranged for those who love him. Isn't that our prayer for the grove? And we're a bit unusual. We're not like a lot of churches that you'll find. People don't imagine that this is what church is. And yet we think that this might be the way that God brings out his best in us. I've gone way, way, way too long. And so if you uh, need to go, I understand. But we actually wanted to end our service today with a particular set of worship, uh, with some songs that are really meaningful to us as a group, and so we're going to continue to sing. And I understand if, you know, you were really wanting to watch the Cowboys game, but they lost, so get over it. Um, I don't actually know if that's true. <laughs>
but we are going to sing together and we're not going to cut songs and cut out early. We understand if it's hot and stuff like that, but we really believe that we have something to celebrate, not just what God has done in us, whether you've been here one month or one day or five years, but what God is about to do in the next five to seven years in this church. There are going to be days that we no longer talk about, are you launch? Are you launch? But we're going to say, were you there when we finished and we started anew? Like last week, we finished loving our city, living for Jesus and being transformed. And now we're going and we're going to be with people and we're going to invite people to be participate in the life of Christ because we believe that that is how they will come to understand and know God in a way that's really meaningful.